0: Atlassian.
1: to product analytics to product-led growth. That's pendo.io slash pivot to learn more.
2: I've been working and speaking with couples for decades, but over the last years, I've expanded the concept of Pair so that it involves friends, it involves co founders, podcast hosts, creative pairs. And Kara Swisher and Scott Galloway are one of these creative pairs. People listen to them on their podcast, and what they hear is two people, each embodied in their own points of views, who disagree out loud in front of an audience, into the microphone and tease each other and challenge each other and confront each other. And I thought, gosh, this is a kind of modeling that is so necessary at this moment. The focus is often on troubles in the relationship, problems. We don't often actually get to see what does the good couple, the good partnership, the creative pair that holds the polarity actually sound like or look like. And this was my focus on this conversation as I met Kara and Scott.
0: She never initiates sex yeah. after.
1: <laughs> never. Ever. You'll be waiting a long time for that, Scott
2: Galloway. That probably, I could imagine, is something that brings clarity in the relationship it between does. the two of you, no? Yes. Definitely
0: takes that element off the table.
1: <laughs> Actually, I get along well with men because of that, yeah, I think. I
2: really believe that. Because it, it never hovers on the being sexualized. Yeah. It's not your not that it would, but yeah. Mm-hmm. 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 In this case, not that it would. Yeah, no. yeah, yeah, sure. I thought of that when I, when I, you know, we had this brief ex- in, in exchange when you interviewed me mm-hmm. on Pivot, and uh, and we were bantering about, you know, we should have a session. We should have a session. Yeah. And uh, and then I thought, why not actually? Because not? Um, you have a public persona as a pair on mm-hmm. the podcast, and then you are also. The parents, so to speak, of yeah. your team—that yes. that works for you and watches and learns from your dynamic—and then I thought, you know, there's so much to learn about people who work together and get along. Yeah. And probably the best thing to to ask as an as a start is, what would make this conversation useful, interesting, productive for each of you? Scott, go ahead.
0: <sighs> That's not fair. It is um,
1: fair.
0: You know, I, I really come at this. I my, my objective here is I just want to express how grateful I am. I want to cement what I think are the positives in our relationship. Um, but, yeah, for me, the only objective I have is to use this as a vehicle to express gratitude, um, to use it as a moment to take a pause and appreciate the relationship and appreciate just how fortunate we are. That's kind of it for me. I don't, I didn't come to this with a list of objectives. Um,
2: wishes. It doesn't have to be uh, as practical, but a wish. Um, but this is a wish to be able to take a moment of pause and express my gratitude for. How would you say?
0: This has been a wonderful relationship for me. This is three years, um, four years. Yeah, I think it's yeah. been longer than that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, I learn a great deal from care more personally, actually, than professionally. And it's been very rewarding for me, just on a, lov- a, a lot of levels. I get to do something twice a week that I not only love doing, I look forward to our work relationship. I don't, mm-hmm. I don't think of it as work. It's also financially exceptionally rewarding. I wish I'd had this 20 years ago when I needed the money but it's given me, I have an objective around reach and influence around some things I'm, I'm passionate about, and this has provided that platform. And that platform, I am not a modest person. I think I'm remarkably fucking talented, but this platform is really mostly a function of Kara's brand equity that she brought to the table and her credibility. So I, I'm grateful for that. I feel as if a little bit I'm drafting off of Kara's presence in the marketplace. Yeah, just the word I would use is grateful, and I wanted to articulate that gratitude. That's something I'm not very good at. I make the mistake of believing that if I feel something that other people telepathically register those feelings.
2: Like buying a birthday present but not giving it. That's right. Yeah, I'm waiting for my birthday
1: present from Scott this year.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That was it, by the way. You just got it. Thank
1: you. That's very sweet, Scott. Um, I have slightly different objectives. I'm really interested in why our Relationship resonates with so many people. Uh, I'm really fascinated. For some reason, our relationship makes people feel better. I say this a lot on the show, but on the way here, I ran into a young woman who stopped me on the street and said, "Yours and Scott' relationship teaches me about relationships." And I, I said, "Why?" And she goes, "I don't know. I just feel better listening to it." And mm-hmm. she was a um, uh, she was she was very emotional about it. And then I was waiting in line, and an older woman said to me. Oh my God, you and Scott, and it was so fascinating. It was, and then she was she's an artist, and she talked about listening to it when she does art, and she said, you know, she was very upset about the state of the world, especially with Israel, and said it makes me think a lot and calms me down, which was really interesting, and I. I, I was like, well, you know, we don't always agree. And she was very much um, said, that's okay. I, I learned how to disagree. And it was really interesting. So the relationship is reached into people and th- they learn how to get along with people they may not agree with. And I think I'm really interested in why that is. Why? What? It, sometimes it's chemistry, of course, there's chemistry, but what is? what are we doing specifically that's causing that?
2: Let's put that question out. I mean, I have... Immediate thoughts, too, but I think that one way to start, Scott, would actually maybe go to, I'm actually more thankful for the things that I have learned from her personally than professionally, meaning something is seeping into the way that we register each other, Mm -hmm. and that then translates in the way that we have conversations with each other, can argue, disagree, banter, and the effect of that is what people get is they see people Mm -hmm. who are arguing, but they're not hurting each other. They're not fighting. Mm -hmm. They are elevating each other for the sake of the topic that they are discussing and showing tension, healthy tension.
0: The the way I think of it is that, I mean, it sounds strange, but Karen and I are what Washington DC is supposed to be. And that is you're supposed to send different viewpoints mm-hmm. such that in a civil manner under the auspices of connective tissues around fidelity and affection for our country and our commonwealth that we have civil and robust debate and argument such that you can craft better solutions mm-hmm. yeah, and we're here we to save that. democracy we're <laughs> yeah. but we I think what we engage in is what most people think of as that, what a deliberative body is supposed to accomplish. You take people with different backgrounds, maybe different interests, and they talk about an issue and they see each other's points, they have empathy, they're civil, they demonstrate affection for each other, even though they disagree, and they come away with a more informed, kind of, you know, better union. I mean, that that is supposed to be our core our competence as a species is a form of cooperation, is debate, evidence, and argument. We're, I think we're the only species that can do that. And we do that. It's, we also don't—I mean, a couple of things. None of us is so wed to our principles that we're not willing to acknowledge the other's points. And I think that people like that.
2: But what you just said is very interesting. You said we show one relationship between two people, but we actually model what we expect from a nation. Um, from a government, and uh, there's something bigger that exists between us that transcends the two of us. And I think that's a very important point.
0: Well, we're talking about the things the government's supposed to be wrestling with. We talk about political issues. We talk about big tech. We talk about economics. And I do think that people want kind of a safe space to explore friction and disagreement without. People donking on each other or being mm-hmm. mean or feeling as if somebody has to be the clear winner or I mean to a certain extent we're neosporan for how coarse our discourse has become.
1: But it's not just public, it's you know, families and you know, not being there was a very funny um thing I saw. It was a Reddit thing, is my parents believe in QAnon, my kids love Hamas, I don't know what I'm gonna do. You know, it was mm-hmm. kind of f- funny. Uh, ex- way to, uh, articulate it. It's that people yeah. are finding a very hard time personally to get to agree to come to any agreement or to disagree in a way that everybody can walk away, you know, from it without feeling terrible. And I think it's because online has infected offline Rather than vice versa, right? Mm-hmm. Things you wouldn't do. I mean, this is not a big revelation, but it really f- people feel dunking is okay. The way they behave online is, like Scott said, it's coarse, it's crude, it's reductive. It's, um, did you get that person? And mm-hmm. I, I engage in it too. And that's, but I, I don't know if we take. I don't take it offline, the way a lot of our culture has started to do. It, it puts people
2: in, in boxes they cannot escape from. I mean, there's a word you, there, that you didn't use much yet, um, which is trust, mm-hmm. that you won't throw each other under the bus mm-hmm. and that you like each other as people. And so that maintains the connective tissue. I think that one of the sentences people are experiencing the most in the attacks online at this moment is shame on you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes, very much so. so. It shame drives me crazy. For whichever thing you think or not think or do or don't do, it's shame on you. Yeah, and uh, Say that? Do, do better. better. That's the one I Whatever. hate. Do better. Be a leader. Yeah. That's what I get a lot. Yeah. So I think that what people experience when they hear you is, first of all, they see two people who like each other. In a way, that's something that is often described of what used to exist in Congress as well. People disagreed, but they liked each other. They they knew this is a good person, but it didn't destroy it. Your beliefs were not the only way by which people judged you. Mm -hmm. They also looked at how you relate to people at what you do. Not that you are a religious person and a secular person, but that you are a good person. (laughs) And Wherever you get your values in humanism or in religion, Um, And so when people listen to you, your friction and the strength with which you each hold your positions and at the same time engage in the dialogue with the other, it's the opposite of the conflict avoidance that many people engage in at this moment. If I don't fully agree with you, I don't talk to you. Or you don't
1: bring it up, you know, and you secretly seethe. I think a lot of people secretly t- seethe, or they feel like they can get in trouble for saying things. And that's, you know, if you talk about trust is I, I you know, sometimes we get into trouble for things we say, but I, I don't think it feels unsafe with each other. No. Right. You know, to express, even when it's it, it'll testy, you know, we've had some testy exchanges. Trans was one, um. It's not that many that I can recall, but you know, we've had some testy ones and somehow we've survived it without disrespect if that and I mm-hmm. think that's I don't, I don't know where people lost that ability. maybe they were holding it all in and now have been able to vomit up whatever comes out of their mouth or they sort of lost just it's, it's not really empathy is not really the word. it's I don't know it's just how, how you were raised. I don't know how else to put it like, Although I wasn't raised that way, wasn't
2: raised that What is your... Well, actually, I'm very curious because I don't know myself. What is your background for each of you? Uh, I think you know this, Esther, but
1: my dad died when I was very little. Yeah. One side of my family is Catholic, Italian. The other side is uh, sort of um, early American Baptist um, and much more traditional Southern and my dad died, who was from that side of the family, and my mom remarried to a terrible person and wasn't, I would say, not the best parent. was not there for me and my brothers, but, you know, tried her best, I guess, with a limited emotional range she had. And, you know, after that, my dad dying, I think we kind of raised ourselves in a lot of ways, although I had the support of a great grand mother who was wonderful and that's my what i was gonna was ask too yeah my grandmother was really a savior my on my mom's side mm-hmm. but i liked i love my grandmother on my dad's side but we didn't see her as much mm-hmm.
2: and if you think about the strengths and the resources that you bring to your interpersonal relations what are some of the things you would say you honed in at home and by the way the resources don't always come from great stuff no it usually <laughs> doesn't does it um I can
1: handle it and nothing much bothers me. You know, I think there's a, uh, you know, highly functional is often a byproduct of the early death of a parent. Mm-hmm. I think I'm highly functional. And so I don't get too spun around or uh, on it. I don't get, uh, I, it's not that I don't lose my temper, but I don't, it's hard to get me bothered that much. And I always just move on to the next thing, move on, move on, move on, you know, just like, let's keep going. And I have an expression I have on one of my walls here that chance favors those in motion. So it's always a moving forward kind of thing.
2: Not in if circles. If something bothers you, you tell him. Oh yeah. Or you wait. Oh no. I tell she texts him. Text me you at two him. in the morning. She'll okay. wake me up. You tell him. <laughs> and <laughs> <if> <laughs> he needs, needs to know immediately. <laughs> and if you need help, you turn to him
1: uh yes actually i've asked him for a lot of stuff i, I don't need a lot of help honestly i don't i have, See, I, I don't, have, I don't think you functional for a you lot just here, said you
2: which is exactly why i ask you a question about <laughs> help because <laughs> um, you've just I, told me I in do, about a roundabout way true,
1: Scott. i do when i have like uh legal things or investment oh, things i ask him stuff,
0: yeah you know
1: i don't know if i ask yeah. him yeah, parenting do. tips um but i would i suppose if but you know actually no he helped my son a great deal he gets shy about it, but he really, I asked him to talk to my son about college and he, he was the really important between him and my brother, the most important people in helping my son figure out where he wanted to go to school. I would even say Scott was more influential. My son talks about him quite a bit, my 18 year old. And so both my sons really like talking to Scott. So I would, I would avail myself to, uh, not for me myself but for mm-hmm. my kids for yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah, He's yeah. been a real asset to uh, to their lives.
2: Beautiful. Beautiful. What would you how would you describe Scott?
0: Describe your what, answer?
2: Just basic demographic background.
0: Oh, um, origin uh, story. Yeah, I was uh, raised by a single mother who lived and died a secretary a lot of my life. Hands down like the singular most important influence in my life. Blessed to be born in California in the '60s as a straight white male.
2: Was she you know, also just... a can handle it all?
0: My mom. Yeah. Oh yeah, my mom was very productive, worked hard. I like to work, and I think I picked up on that early from her. She was worked very hard to make sure we were economically viable. Kind of an, I would say we were upper lower middle class. Um, you know, my household income was never more. Than, I think we peaked at forty thousand dollars, but you know, born in California at exactly the right time with exactly the right skin tone, sexual orientation. I mean, just had this like the full force, gale force winds of the greatest economy at the greatest time and the greatest state. I mean, I used to, my narrative used to be a son of a single mother. Aren't I awesome that I overcame these things? And then as I got older and matured, I realized that yeah, I wasn't in, in the 99.9th percentile I was in the 99th because of you know, I got to go to UCLA for free. I got into UCLA. I mean, just when I didn't deserve to. So I my background it on on from the curb, it looks like it was not difficult but a little bit challenged, but the reality was absent a male role model, I didn't have that, but absent that, I consider my background remarkably, fortunate and blessed and i got very lucky i had a really good reference group my friends as a young man were always very impressive ambitious hard-working good people and that was really kind of my family if you will i was an only child Mm -hmm. so my friends were really my family That's and i was really fortunate
2: your conversations about men we do it does. You've never said this to me, but I've inferred it from the way that you talk about young men and the need for young men for the solid friendships, the circle in which they evolve, et cetera. So it makes sense.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's my practice. It's not my prayer, but every night before I go to sleep, I call two friends and mm-hmm. I rotate them. But I don't text them, but I, I call and I have a live conversation with two friends every night. And I've done that six of seven nights for the last 30 years. Wow. Uh, and I rotate. I go I go down. No. Um yeah. So I was very fortunate, very blessed around that, but you know, just pretty, I was describe my
2: Could you and your mom enos. argue? When you, could oh, you yeah. Could you disagree? I mean, could you spar? Could you?
0: Oh, sure. I mean, I think I went through what I think a lot of young men go through that separating from the pack, I kind of turned into an asshole when I was a teenager. I was i was never mean to my mom, but I wasn't as kind as I could have been. But I moved back in with my mother. I actually lived with my mom for a year when she was dying. That made us very close. You know, we it was me and her against the world. That that was very formative for me. Um, but yeah, we were, I mean, other than that, like, 17-year-old phase, we were, like, not very nice such that it makes it easier to leave home. I say now, like, nothing good happens because my, nothing really good feels cemented. Because anytime something good happened to me, I would call my mom. Literally anything. Oh, I met a nice woman at a coffee shop and I got her number. Oh, I just got my first bonus from Morgan Stanley. Like, anything good. And now, not there, right? So it doesn't feel like good stuff really happens. It's weird. Mm-hmm. It's like it doesn't really happen because she's not there to hear it. You can call so, me, Scott. There you go. <laughs> I occasionally <laughs> do.
1: No, you do. Um, it's so funny. I was just thinking you grew up uh, with a single mom. I grew up very wealthy, I would say, um, which we, my brothers and I have tried to escape because we're very hard workers. We hated that, you know, the, the step up. Yeah, you are a um, hard worker. Um, and all, but all my brothers are like that. We yeah. did not like- the trappings of wealth at all um and did not enjoy it we you know we didn't we didn't relish in it or become lazy because of it which was interesting cuz you know it's it's easy not to think about money when you have money but we really don't we really work hard we really like work and earning things on our own so that was interesting
2: but you're bringing it in a very uh, necessary way in the economic realm i'm also thinking mm-hmm. simply when you describe dad wasn't there, there was no mm-hmm. dad, there was grandma, mom was somewhat present, I learned to fend for myself. I learned yeah. to just know I've got my own legs to stand on, I have to be self-reliant. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but you probably called grandma when great things happened to you, too. Yes. And yes, so you have definitely. that combination between <laughs> connection and self-reliance. And yeah, we basically, talk every
1: night, I would say, almost every night of my okay. her life, her life, right. for
2: sure. Um
1: yeah, I know her phone, one of the few phone numbers I know was hers um, by heart, right? You know, you don't, of course, nobody remembers phone numbers anymore, but that's one I knew by heart, for sure.
2: And then I listened to Scott describe, you know, calling mom, but also, you know, you. <laughs> it's easier to be, what did you call a 17-year-old asshole when you actually have someone holding the fort? Yeah. Yeah. And, and you can go, you know, and the relationship is solid and steady, so you can be bratty a few years, you know, and I'm thinking that, I mean, I'm wondering to what extent does some of that also exist in your relationship? These formative experiences that you had, like being with a person, being with a woman with strong opinions, who holds things on her own, who works very hard. It's familiar to you.
1: I'm your mother, Scott. Scott, I am your mother. <laughs> I knew you would
2: say this. But it's not I'm your mother, but it's more that you have learned to not be threatened. You've learned to enjoy, actually, even to welcome behaviors that in a different context are experienced. You know, I can imagine some people listening to the two of you and saying, what an amazing pair. They go at it and they like it, etc. And I can imagine other people listening to you or even working for you, for that matter, even on your team, who get tense when they see that tension and that animosity or that sparring come up because that for them was not at all something that said, you're safe here, you can fight, but rather you're not safe here. Don't fight.
0: Yeah, my I mean, I've never been in therapy, but it's it's one thing that's very obvious about the relationships that are most important to me. My key relationships are all very um my closest friends are either gay or very feminine. I'm drawn to people who take care of me. And I mean, all of my best relationships are basically some version of Homer Simpson and Marge. Marge. I'm the unwashed, idiot, frat bro, and they are this caring, decent person. All of my closest friends are like gentle, nice, loving people that's who i'm drawn I've always been drawn to i have no idea if i'm trying to recreate mm-hmm. what recreate makes them their drawn to you <laughs> and they're drawn to me because i get i think i provide a certain level of comfort and uh, i don't know what it is but every one of my close friendships is basically a very gentle loving person and I'm the irreverent, aggressive, obnoxious one.
1: Yeah, but I don't think you're as bad as you think you are. You know what I mean? I think there's- You the part? Yeah, it is. It's a little cos- cosplaying that that's your idea of yourself. Often when people do come up to me, if they don't like something you said, I constantly say, Scott is an incredibly kind person. I think you have to, you know, and- because he struggles with stuff, that should be a problem for you. Why? Because he's expressing struggling. And so once they start to think that way, they go, oh, that—that's I hadn't thought of it that way. Um, no, I think you're not. It's, you're a very generous and kind person with your time and your space. And I think you, you like being the bad boy, but you're not really bad. I know a lot of bad, bad people, and you're not one of them.
2: One thing stands out for me in their interaction is that they have each other's back. They can argue, they banter, but they prop each other up. Kara says, I don't think you're as bad as you think you are. They hold a mirror to each other to see themselves in a more holistic way. So sometimes it's blunt, it's sometimes very honest. It's always caring. And it invites the other person to actually see themselves with greater honesty. We have to take a brief break. Stay with us.
3: Fox Creative. This is advertiser content from Atlassian. That's A T L A S S -S I A N dot com. Support for this podcast comes from constant contact. If you're a business owner, you already know that it's really, really hard to cut through the noise of everyday life. If you want to connect with your customers, you need to break through the noise. You need constant contact. Just go to constantcontact.com right now. Constant Contact, helping the small stand tall. ConstantContact.com.
2: Sometimes people present themselves as tough. Yeah. But it, for the purpose of mm-hmm. covering. But yeah, I know. often is a very tender. Yes, yes. Gentle.
1: <laughs> I think you're talking about me. I am yeah. actually tough, but I also can be tender. I, it's okay to be tough. One time I was telling Scott some. I was uh, talking to someone who was in therapy every day of the week. You know, I guess when you do that, when you're in deep psychoanalysis, and I said that's a lot of dice, and I don't think I know have that many things to talk about about myself. Yeah. And they said you're. You're blocking. Uh, that's right. Isn't that the word? They said, you're blocking. I said, well, it's repressing, working. Repressing, repressing. Okay. Yeah. I said, it's working. I'm very happy and you seem miserable. So I don't know what to tell you. But and they're you, like, it's fake happy. I'm like, I don't think so. I think I actually am happy, but okay, sure.
2: I have, I mean, we've met maybe three or four times mm-hmm. that we have spoken together. I, I don't think of you as tough, but I do sometimes think you can be intimidating. Oh, Scott, okay. who presents us tough, doesn't intimidate me at all. Yeah. <laughs> Whereas, <laughs> <Paper tiger. laughs> you, however, do intimidate Papier. me sometimes. Really? Like, Why? I'm like, because I'm not fully sure how you register me. So I, then I start to oh. not, not really know. It's like, and and uh, with him, it's it's easier to see that under this carapace, yes. there is something, you know, he has that, that smile and, and I, I, okay, got it, got it. Yeah. But, um, so yeah. that, that, but I don't know if, has nobody I'm ever not told as much, you that you can be? I'm, I'm not as much of
1: an open wound. That's absolutely true. I'm just not, it just isn't. Maybe I have a scar, but I certainly am not, you know, again, it's the moving on thing. It's like, can't be, I can always figure out a way to get out of it. And so that's, you know, I think about that a lot because how do people survive difficult crises, right? When, depending on what the crisis happens to be, well, years ago, I did an outward bound, um, you know, those couple of them actually, mm-hmm. and you go in the wilderness and it's i was very calm in crisis like extraordinary i was surprised how calm i was i didn't panic i got calmer and calmer as the situation got worse and worse
2: right um, because sometimes in the face of threat mm-hmm. you can have fight flight freeze or fix yeah. I think I'm the last mm. one. The fix is the one that's not, for, not the added. So you become instrumental. Mm-hmm. You roll up your sleeve and yes. you get to work. Right.
1: And that's not, that's not necessarily a good thing because, you know, a lot of people, uh, my wife thinks about things a lot, you know, and, and I'm always like, let's just move on. Like, just make a decision and go. Like, it's not going to get any better by mulling it. And I don't mull a lot. And per- perhaps I should, but I just don't have time for it. I just no, don't. No,
2: but how are you with those who do?
1: I'm a little impatient, I would mm-hmm. say. I think you end up in the same place. So it, it just seems like it's painful when people do that. The worry makes me think it, it'll take days off their lives. I don't know. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? I don't, I don't have that kind of time. I, don't, I, I always feel like I don't have that kind of time.
2: So I love the way that people that don't mull and don't worry – you know, the it, it's a very nicely packaged argument for why it's not a good thing to do. <laughs> no, I
1: get <laughs> it. I get it. I get <laughs> but, it. I, I mean, get it.
2: I, you know, I'm not gonna be the one to convince you that you
1: Oh well, my wife when I met her, she said she says, What are you neurotic? But I said, I can't think of anything. I like to clean, I guess. I don't know. I, I but it calms me down. So yes. um I don't because find that neurotic. It's organized.
2: Useful specific tasks with a beginning, a middle and an end. Yeah. And you don't have to think about anything else. Right. That's exactly right. Leaning has a powerful function in Mm -hmm. that in that sense. Are you similar in the in the not mulling, not worrying, not ruminating? Scott,
1: I think mulls a lot, don't
2: you Scott?
0: Yeah, I mean, Dester, I struggle with depression and anger. So I have a tendency to live way too much in the past. I'm um, hands down 110% of my anger and mulling is on me, is focused on me. Mm-hmm. I I do think I I do try to be very generous. I have this thing, don't keep score, decide what kind of husband, father, son you want to be and be that person and don't don't contribute that to the relationship registering their contribution and keep score i just don't do that anymore Mm -hmm. but i am very hard on myself and constantly disappointed in myself constantly feel like i've come up short on everything i should have done how i perform on anything i'm just constantly disappointed in myself and can't get over it and can can never forgive myself and it really turns on me i get angry at myself and it's like my blood turns to acid, and it just registers this emotional toll, and I go into these very dark downward spirals. And I talk about that on the show. I think a lot about, you know, I've made a living basically renting my brain to old white guys to say, what's the opportunity with your business? That's how I've made my living for 40 years. And the oppor- the, the white spaces we fill feel, we feel are the following from just a pure economic or marketing standpoint, and I think white people are drawn to the show in addition to the chemistry. Kara occupies a white space. There aren't that many women, full stop, who come from a background in journalism, who are physically smaller, who are from a vulnerable community, the LGBTQ community, that are in people's faces and giving very forceful, thoughtful opinions, interrupting people, not taking shit. That's just a white space there aren't that many people in from that background and women and men but mostly women but a lot of men too really respond well to that Mm -hmm. they're like that's what i wanted to do everybody talks about it but not that many people of that demographic behave that way so that's the white space that kara fills you know and so people people are really drawn to that power that strength that courage i'm a straight white male that shows his emotions (laughs) that's that's the white space. Mm-hmm. And it's an enormous white space. I, I fucking cry all the time you on do. our show. You cry. And that is hands down when I get the most. And it's, it's totally organic. It is not staged at all. Right. I'm embarrassed when I do it. I don't plan on it. Um, you know, it's very authentic. And I cannot tell you how many men I hear from.
2: Because you <laughs> reveal a side of masculinity that is often so hidden and unacknowledged and yet quite present and real.
0: And all men, there's there's so many men who literally look at it like a skill that they would kill to have. Oh. I hear from these guys like I, my whole life I've wanted to express that kind of emotion and I just can't. Mm-hmm. And And at the same time, Uh, You can just feel a lot of women, and I think a lot of people who feel like they've taken shit and listened to men talk over them, mansplain them, not gotten back in a man's, you know, people's faces, feel that, you know, Kara is sort of their warrior queen, right? (laughs) So I think we both occupy spaces that gives people, makes people feel seen and heard and and emboldens them.
2: Yeah, they're aspirational for them. Yeah, I think definitely Scott's.
1: vulnerability is incredibly attractive. I don't think it's, again, it's not artifice in any way. And sometimes I often tell him, just give yourself a break, like stop being so hard on yourself. Why don't you give yourself a break is something I say a lot to him. But uh, I think people do respond because men really, I think what he's talking about is vulnerability of men that Mm -hmm. never gets, that that is often unexpressed. Men struggle with it because they have a certain, you know, persona they meet, need to maintain and crying they can't imagine crying in front of publicly right? right
2: no no the socialization of men is more geared towards stoicism
1: and the other side is a woman that maybe doesn't cry is also yeah. well she's she's not yeah. you know bill ackman or Elamas said she has heart teasing with hate and she laughs at him like she's not like crumpled down in a heap crying oh no a powerful man has said something tough to me and i think that's something that people appreciate because it's mm-hmm. opposite they're both opposite what you might expect from people well
0: if someone described our backgrounds and our dem- demographics and our and then said this show regularly has one person turning into a chocolate mess and the other person comforts them they wouldn't guess who it is mm-hmm. <laughs> they wouldn't be like Oh, it's the 6'2 guy. It, they wouldn't get, They wouldn't be like, oh, yeah, that's the guy that's a chocolate mess all the time. Yeah. Like, there's just so many stereotypes yeah. and expectations around people based on how they look or their gender or their backgrounds or whatever it is.
2: Tell me something. When you describe, I grapple more with depression and anger and self-doubt. Is the presence of Cara palliative for you?
0: Oh yeah, I very much appreciate yeah, and that's how I get out of my funks is I spend time with other people. Um, for me, it's really my boys. Mm-hmm. Like I've I've struggled for some reason the past week. I don't know, I don't know what it is. I can feel it, and I have this whole method. I um I start working out once or twice a day. I
2: like she cleans you out.
0: Yeah, I start working out. But more than anything, I try to be around family, and I try to be very affectionate with my boy. Like I go to mm-hmm. sleep with my son when he goes to sleep. I just lie next to him. I find that very, very restorative for me. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's it's I I I've, I've learned to manage it without pharmaceuticals. True connection. But it's a yeah. It's uh, I, the way I describe it is mammalia. I just turn to my mammal self, right? Yeah, to um, oxytocin. Yeah. But because there yeah, is so just no excuse. And again, it gets me angry at myself. Mm-hmm. I have blessings the size of Mars. I have of a mood mm-hmm. the size of an anthill. Mm-hmm. And it yeah, makes no sense. you stack ranking
1: your tragedy. Like, you can't stack rank. Like, oh, that person should be less. You know, you don't get to be as unhappy because you have all these things. I don't think they ever equal up. I don't think if you yeah. have blessings, I mean, I don't think they ever equal up. I think one of the things that um, Scott, Perhaps hasn't experienced as much as I have is life is unfair. Like I've had a yeah. lot of life is unfair. I always call myself a an optimistic pessimist. I expect the worst, and I'm surprised by when it turns out mm-hmm. right. You know, mm-hmm. I would yeah. say he is um a pessimistic op. He really thinks the world is a good place. You know what I mean? Like he, in his heart of hearts, he thinks that it's better than it is. And I'm never surprised by
2: but he thinks that the world is a better place than the place inside of him. Yes, yes, 100%. And he often, and he describes himself as prone to self-doubt. Right. And so a collaboration, a good collaboration, becomes compensatory for the self-doubt. Yeah. It's like when a show with you, Takes care of a lot of the rumination. I mean, he may still ask himself, "Did I talk too much? Did I talk okay? Did I say the right thing today?" You know. But fundamentally, your presence and the fact that that's not something you grapple with gives him more confidence that it was okay, rather well, than I think did more, I
1: do more. To the point is that someone he respects thinks something he said was wise or surprising, and that's one of the things that attracted me to Scott is one of the things he does almost continually on the show is surprise me with insight and i think he likes that i am i think he likes that i think he's smart right because i do because yes. i'm like mm-hmm. yes because um, you're the
2: counter voice to the voice of doubt inside right of but him. i think he thinks someone really smart
1: thinks I'm smart.
2: Hey, If it right. didn't come from someone smart, it would have no effect. Right. That's mm-hmm. what I
1: mean. And I think I genuinely am always like, oh, I didn't think of that. Like the other day he did something. I was like, oh, I thought halfway through and then he thought the rest of the way through. So it's, you need other people to get you to the next level. And I think that's works really well here for mm-hmm. sure.
2: What I like about what you're highlighting both is that it's become a little easy to describe you from the angle of, It's the pair that knows to fight well and disagree with each other Mm -hmm. and still like each other. I think what you just described is a whole other layer of, A, what you represent to society in in terms of how you each are, but also the kind of complementarity. You know, when you haven't said something that he says, you say, oh, he just finished the thought, but you don't berate yourself on it.
1: Because I never would have thought of it. Like that's the thing. It's like it's a different brain, and I'm like, oh, I see how. Then you see. You ever, I, I, have you ever been around someone that like sees something way ahead of you? And oh, you, I have such respect fantastic. for that. It's. <laughs> I'm like, oh, now I see. It's like when you see one of those pictures where you can't see the face. That's sometimes what it feels like. I'm like, oh, there's the face, of course. And then you're like, oh, I hadn't thought about that. Mm-hmm. And I like that. I really find that helpful. And it happens with Scott all the time, which is why it's a really I'm often surprised. I'm often, I didn't think that way. It it doesn't necessarily change my viewpoint all the time, but it changes my, it changes the way I think about something. And I think Mm -hmm. that's helpful because I get uncertain, which is good, which is, I think, a good thing.
2: What Kara highlights here is something that is emphasized in the research of John and Julie Gottman about relationships, which is the importance of being able to receive influence from the other person in a relationship. The willingness, the openness to be shaped, expanded, changed through another. And that receiving influence is beautifully modeled right here there is still so much to talk about. We need to take a brief break, so stay with
0: us. Support for Pivot comes from Hidden Layer. It seems like everywhere you look, industries are turning to generative AI. We talk about it a lot on this show. Businesses can generate more ideas, answers, connections, solutions, and momentum. But at the same time, security teams are forced to slow down that progress so they can make sure AI adoption is safe and responsible. Hidden Layer's AI detection and response platform secures generative AI and large language models from malicious attacks, leaking of confidential information, and intellectual property theft. Hidden Layer helps you generate more by enabling seamless, secure generative AI. Here's how it works. AI detection and response protects businesses from potential attacks by monitoring and analyzing the inputs and outputs of their generative AI applications, blocking harmful transactions, and alerting security teams in real time, allowing organizations to accelerate their AI adoption with speed. Customers in finance, technology, healthcare, and even the U.S. Department of Defense trust Hidden Layer to protect their AI today. Plus, Hidden Layer was named Most Innovative Startup at RSA, the most significant cybersecurity conference in the nation. With Hidden Layer, go from pause to possibilities. Generate more with Hidden Layer. Visit hiddenlayer.com pivot to learn more about Hidden Layer's AI detection and response solution. This week on The Pitch, we're breaking form and introducing a new segment on our show called The Exit. You had your first exit at 18 years old. Your second at 24. And then six months later, you start another company. This one's called Shipped. The company just exploded overnight. And then you realize, all right, we need more money. So you went out to Sand Hill Road. I'm not a West Coast type. I didn't have a feel for the game, but I figured it out really fast. What did you think when you threw out the number? It is very easy to get distracted and excited and thinking about what you're going to do with your millions.
3: I ran the company out of money. I know my CFO and everybody was thinking, this
0: is nuts. Oh, shipped. <laughs> do you have any regrets about shipped? How Bill Smith, a high school dropout from Birmingham, Alabama, started, scaled, and sold his startup for $550 million in three years. That's this week. Go right now and subscribe to The Pitch wherever you listen to podcasts.
2: Is what you have with him unique, you think? I think it's unusual.
1: I don't get surprised that often. I like being surprised by people and Scott is constantly surprising me.
2: Take that in, sir. (laughs) Ah, He surprises me. (laughs) Do you think that you're relationship is replicable? Do you Have you met other co-founders, co-creators, co-leaders, um, collaborators that have inspired you? Different model, but that you say, they too, they have this. Because so many people have to work with people and they're yeah. all looking for a way to do it in a way that, that is not just better, but what you're describing, Scott, satisfying, nurturing, joyful, looking forward. I mean, those are beautiful terms to describe going to work.
1: You know, you have to find your co-founder, right? I think co-founders are always better, honestly. When I see companies, the, the individual yeah, founders agreed. tend to be really narcissistic in a way that's eventually yeah. problematic. Up
0: guardrails. Yeah. yeah. I've always had partners. I really like, I think it's much more rewarding to build a company yeah. with other people. Mm-hmm. I think it's fun. I think it's fun to build something together. I think it's fun to make money together. I just find it more rewarding. I would never want to do this kind of stuff alone because it's like, who do you celebrate with?
2: Mm-hmm. and who takes care of your self-doubt right. there you go
0: but in in terms of like I was thinking if when you went in for heart surgery oh
2: yeah
0: someone said well wh- what happens to pivot if care if, if doesn't make it out of surgery and they're <laughs> like really? who's 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 the next co-host who's yeah. your co-host and mm-hmm. I'm like if if care is gone when care is gone pivot's done mm. and or when I'm you know
1: see I, I would immediately I, I, replace you see?
0: I know but so I won't say that. But me, I'm like, I and not only that, I don't have the energy to recreate this yeah. relationship.
2: Yeah. Mm-hmm. And another question I had for you, Scott, is actually for both of you, but it came up as you were talking. In what way has your professional relationship with Kara changed you to be a different or a better partner with your wife? Mm. How has this relationship informed, inspired? I
0: I don't think it's made me a better spouse. I think it's made me a better family person. I've always come from this attitude of I'm working so hard for the family. Mm -hmm. And don't you appreciate how hard I'm working and I'm working this hard for us and a lot of self-pity? And uh, Kara's very, Kara works as hard or harder than I do. And there's very few people who work as hard as I do. And Kara always finds time for her family. And I have never heard any of that self pity. And that's very motivating for me because it's something I don't like about myself. And when I see someone who has as much pressure on her from a relationship standpoint and an economic standpoint as Kara does, Kara's got a lot of dependence. And I've never I've never heard you complain once. I've never: but you heard know, you complain a part about your of this once.
2: are the socially sanctioned scripts. This is very cultural. You are you know, a part, you were talking earlier about how both of you kind of transcend some gender role expectations, but in this one, you fall right in the middle of it. I'm working so mm-hmm. hard. I justify my absence. I justify my lateness. I justify my lack yeah. of availability. You should you should be thankful. You should realize how much I'm doing. I'm not doing this for myself. I'm doing this for the family. I mean, that's like such a canned script and very gender specific.
0: And a lot of it's bullshit because most of what I do is for me, to be honest. Okay. I want to be ridiculously honesty, fuck- sir. <laughs> no, I want to be ridiculously fucking rich. He and likes awesome.
2: the
1: hotel rooms. He likes. Yeah.
0: <laughs> I mean, I'd probably be doing this without my family. I don't. Uh, it's not like right. I get up and go bus- drive a bus. <laughs>
2: right. But do you, do, you, do you agree that there is something very gender specific about this script?
0: Oh, no. I, on so many ways. The other day I grabbed some fries from my kid's plate and he looked at me and he said, Dad, it's mine. I'm like, everything in this fucking house is mine.
1: Did you really say that?
0: I really <laughs> said that. I used that as exact words.
1: <laughs> Jesus. Oh, good. Don't say that again. There you go. There you go. Do not say that ever to anyone. No, I,
0: I, I can't. Yeah, I, I can hear it coming out of my mouth and trying to pull it back.
2: Yeah, yeah. I good idea. Could you humor. apologize? Yeah. Do you take What's it that? back? At, do you take it back at least to the? Oh yeah,
0: I. Are you I good I do at try apologizing. To, yeah, I do. I do apologize to my kids and and my wife. And I also try to immediately inject humor to mock myself.
1: Yeah, his wife runs the whole show. Just FYI.
0: Hundred percent.
2: Hundred percent. What have I not asked you that you so think many is things. an important part of, yes, please tell me. So. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
1: I don't know. I I just think, you know, it's interesting because you, you're right when you started this thing off. A lot of people don't, they talk about what the problem is and not what works, right? I think that's a really interesting way to frame this because when people do run into me publicly because they think they really know us and they kind of do on, you know, fans yeah. who listen to the show kind of do know us.
2: Um, they're like. What's so I'll give the real you an st- example of what right. just works. Right. You just give me. So uh, this is just the last one you mentioned. Mm-hmm. Scott ge- gets down on himself and mm-hmm. he g- goes negative. He berates himself. He doubts himself. He pities himself. And you basically say to him, "Cut it off." Mm-hmm. But you have a way of doing it, and he has a trust vis-à-vis you that instead of feeling cut off and shut down. He feels supported and he feels that you're helping him not sink and that you're holding his head above water. Those moments, because relationships happen in micro moves, that's a moment that in a distressed relationship would completely turn on its head. You would say, oh, come on, knock it off. And the other person would feel you have no empathy. I have no room to express myself. What about my feeling? You shut me up, etc. And it would begin an escalation. Right, but I don't
1: actually say knock it off without saying you're great. Like, look at all the six things. You know, like, like let me show you why that's not the Doesn't case. Doesn't matter.
2: You can yeah. say it in the nicest way. What 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 allows him to hold on to this, rather than to feel pushed away by it, is mm-hmm. is in the details of many many other experiences where he has learned to trust that you mean well for him many ways of him knowing that there is something in what you do that actually holds him from sinking further. Loads of little things that are not expressed in the moment, but they allow him to attribute meaning to what you say that feels helpful and curative rather than negative and hostile. Yeah, I don't know why That that analysis of micro-move by micro-move is what helps us understand what makes it work. Now, typically, we all have a good idea of what makes it not work. We've seen mm-hmm. all the, you know, you say this and off when the, the other person goes. It's what made this person take this in this direction rather than in the more obvious direction. Right. Yeah. I know you say, but I say you're great. Another person could just hear this as she just, you know, whatever you say, what's the word in English? just yeah, make use word, empty you, words, you know, yeah, You're just placating, placating me, yeah, you know, yeah, and that doesn't happen. And it's like, what allows this? Well, because I
1: think Scott knows that I don't lie, you know, and I don't like, I mm-hmm. wouldn't like, I wouldn't mm-hmm. shine him on. I don't, I'm not, a sh- I'm, I don't ever shine mm-hmm. people on, mm-hmm. and I think mm-hmm. that's so. He knows I wouldn't say it if I didn't mean it. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, here's a question <laughs> when is Scott going to make Kara cry? <laughs>
0: god i hope i never make you cry i hope you i hope i give you permission <laughs> no no be. you get
1: emotionally i'm not talking about make you cry it's that you cry about really lovely things you cry about your f- missing friends or your your someone who's sick or your your mom or something like that mm-hmm. you really you, you you access those emotions that was it just a joke because you're never going to make me cry so
0: yeah but you've i've, I've heard you get I've heard you get emotional about stuff. I think you feel more licensed to talk about personal stuff because I'm so personal. Mm-hmm.
1: Um, mm-hmm. My kids, probably.
0: Yeah. But I think, you know, it's just different. Kara's raised from a position of where I, I think, or I, I, well, I think. I think Kara's, I don't want to say her claws are out, but, but Kara, Kara said something to me that, that really struck me. She said, you know, when we we're talking about people who kind of run the world or these heads of tech platforms, they don't build any safeguards. They're not worried about uh, people being victims because they've never been victims themselves. And so they just have a difficult time understanding what it's like to feel to be a victim. And I feel like Kara comes from a place where she just took a lot of shit. <laughs> and mm. And so as a result, she puts up, it's not a front, but I think you have—I think you have a lot of calluses. I won't even call it scar tissue, but I think you're—I think you're tough. You—you you have a—you know—you're an igloo. You're—you're you're tough on the outside and soft and gooey on the inside. Mm-hmm, but the vast majority of, the, of people you come in contact with are never going to see that. I don't think I've seen it a few times, but I think most people don't ever ever access that. And
2: so the question of when will I cry? I'm teasing. uh, Yeah, but I'm coming back to it because it goes hand in hand with the, I don't mull, I don't wallow, I don't self-pity, I get over things, time is short. You know, that that very robust system that you have. So there might be one day something that finally says, I deserve to be here. I, as in I, this feeling deserves to be, to take just some space inside of you for a moment. Please don't shut me down. Please don't go practical on me. Please don't start cleaning. Just let me express myself. Mm. And there will be maybe one day a part of you that just asks for that and makes it happen. He will Mm -hmm. have had not much to do with it. But cleaning
1: works. I'm telling you, Esther, there should be a whole therapeutic thing. I clean the whole basement on Sunday. I'm so happy.
2: I've written in Mating in Captivity two pages on somebody who really began cleaning. (laughs) At the moment, things became most chaotic. And that notion that order on the outside will be met by order on the inside. It is, though. It does work. You know, so... Now, it works as a wonderful repressive tactic, ah, organizing structure. Again, it works it's for something. <laughs> but if you ask, How will I one day, you know, will I one day cry unbeknownst to me? Will tears hmm. grab me like I've seen them grab him? And for that, it, th- th- those tears will need to carve a little way inside of you and yeah. basically say, let, let us come, let us stream, give us permission yeah that's true that's true
1: probably unlikely but still
2: (laughs) and i think we can stop here if that's okay with you great
0: thank you for doing this I, i can't imagine how many very famous and interesting people would would kill to have you do this for them so thanks very much
2: yeah my pleasure
3: Where Should We Begin with Esther Perel is produced by Magnificent Noise. We're part of the Vox Media Podcast Network in partnership with New York Magazine and The Cut. Our production staff includes Eric Newsom, Eva Walchover, Destry Sibley, Huete Katana, Sabrina Farhi, Eleanor Kagan, Kristen Muller, and Julian Original music and additional production by Paul Schneider. And the executive producers of Where Should We Begin are Esther Perel and Jesse Baker. We'd also like to thank Courtney Hamilton, Mary Alice Miller, Jen Marler, and Jack Saul.
0: Support for the show comes from Atlassian. Whether you're exploring space, making pizza, or producing a podcast like this one here...